You know, when I was younger, I wanted a lot of things. You ever been there, done that? I wanted new cars. I wanted the nicest house. I wanted nice clothes. I, my entertainment, I wanted it to be good. I wanted good food at the best restaurant. And the older I get, and I don't think it has anything to do with age, but it might be, maybe because I'm getting wiser, I don't want any of that stuff anymore because it doesn't satisfy me. Even in, in front, uh, sit, you know, after a rough day coming home and sitting in front of the, the, the boob tube, sorry, but that's what it is, is just, you know, we sit there and it just sucks us dry. And what I'm looking for is refreshment. And I have found that, man, the thing I really want in life is more of Jesus. The more I get of Jesus in me, the more refreshed I, ha- I am, the more peace I have, the more joy I have. And so I know this is going to be crazy, but we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus today. Woohoo! Because we are in chapter 22 of the story, and we're going through the, the, from the Bible from the beginning to the end, and we're going through it really fast. But here's the upside to going to Bethlehem this morning. We're past Christmas. So we kind of have a freer mind about it. We're not stressed about Christmas. We don't have to worry about presents. We may have to be about worried about paying for bills. But we're, we're going to be looking at that. But before we get there, I just want to lift up this and say this book, it contains the mind of God. And it contains the state of man, the way of salvation, uh, warnings for the wicked. Its teachings are truth. Its histories are accurate. I love archaeology because the more they do archaeology, the more they go, oh, you know what? Uh, The Bible is right again. And that is so cool. But read it to be wise. Believe it to be saved. Practice it to be holy. Obey it to get peace. It gives you light and it will give you strength. Hear heaven is opened and the hell and the and really the the gates of hell are broken and it's God's story and here's the good news we're invited into it aren't we see the bible really is has one storyline but two halves right let's throw that up on the screen for just a moment it has one story, but there are really two parts. The, the lower part we talked about, Adam and Eve started in the garden. They were tempted uh, to evolve, to be God, and they rebelled. They said, God, there's only one rule. Of all the rules, there's just one, and we're not trusting you. Sin comes into the world. We suddenly have the sinful nature that has to be dealt with. And that's the, the lower story. And as I said last week, Noah got onto the ark and got off the ark, but his problem wasn't solved. We still have this nature of wanting to put ourselves on the throne of our own heart. That's what we want to do. It just comes naturally. You do not have to teach your young children to say, no, mine. Or to hit their little brother or hit their little sister. You don't have to teach them that. Why? Because there's something ingrained in us and we have to deal with it. Nothing really has changed. But the upper story also starts off in the beginning. 
But God's big, grand, upper story is a long tale that has all of our stories in it. And the plot line is this. God is the creator who has a passion to be with us and to be worshipped by us. So the problem of sin has to be dealt with since it's now part of our nature and it keeps us away from intimacy with him. So he begins to deal with sin. And he's going to bring somebody forth, Jesus, the Messiah, that not only is going to change our future environment, he's going to change our heart right now. That's the beauty about coming to Jesus. It isn't a ticket to heaven. It is an invitation to start living a different way of life that is filled with his power and his deliverance, but he is the change agent. He changes men and women to be who you were created to be. So God has this crazy new idea that he's going to introduce in chapter 22. And that is being born from above. That, that he is going to send forth himself, Jesus the Messiah. Now, 400 years have gone by. That's a long time, isn't it? 400 years has gone by. God has not sent a prophet he is not sent to judge. He ha- they, Israel doesn't even have a king. So from Malachi all the way to the Gospel of Matthew, there's 400 years of stone-cold silence from God. You'd think the, the nation of Israel would just say, "Yeah, I give up. Now, what, what was God doing? Where, where was this promise of the Savior? Because the lower stories continued. But the question is, is where is God during this 400 years of silence? Now, the upper story, God wanting to save us. And our lower story about being messed up, dysfunctional. I'm part of this group, baby, right here. Messed up, dysfunctional, need help. God is going to suddenly collide. Our two stories are going to collide right today. Today, the upper story and the lower story are going to go boom. I want to show you some other collisions. Is that going to hurt? Yeah. Are you going to notice that collision? Yeah. How about the next one? Is that going to hurt? That's going to be a collision. Okay, this next one is really tough. How about this one? Is there going to be a collision between concrete and a bicycle? Yes, it's going to be a face plant, right? How about this is a better kind of collision, but still it's going to be a collision. Uh, and how about this one? Is this going to have a little collision? That big boy is going to create quite a splash, right? How about this last one? Let's just leave that up for a second, Heather. Imagine if God put all the oceans together. All the oceans of the world were together. And God had a drop. And he just dropped it from heaven. It traveled through time and space and hit that ocean. Would anybody even notice what God was doing? No. So what kind of collision happens in chapter 2? Is it the violent kind? Or the subtle kind. It's a humble one. It's an ordinary one. A story that I said we may be all too familiar with because we just celebrated Christmas, but we're going to talk about Jesus coming into the world. What was God doing for 400 years? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was preparing the rest of the world for the Messiah since the people of Israel didn't get it done. God's 
upper story is always going to go forward even if we choose not to participate in it. In Galatians, it says this about Jesus coming into the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might become his children. It's an interesting phrase that God sent Jesus at the exact right moment in time. Fullness of time. What does it mean, the fullness of time? Here's the next slide. It's called the Pax Romano. It's just a fancy way of saying Roman peace. Did you know there has been no other time in the history of the world that there was a military operation that made roads throughout the known world? Rome controlled the entire world. And they made roads. They're great engineers. But with roads came armies, but with roads came information. Because one country, Rome, controlled the entire world, there was relative peace. You could travel all the way from Rome to Palestine and not really be in that great much of fear because the, the government was keeping peace. And not only that, everybody was bilingual. I'm trying to learn Spanish as, 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 as tough as my old brain is. I'm trying. But everybody was bilingual because there was a thing called koine, which just means common, common Greek. So if you were a Hebrew, you would be speaking Hebrew. But when you went out into the world, you would know how to speak Greek, koine Greek. So there's a common language. It's almost like the Internet. Can the Internet go places you've never thought of? Oh, man, we can get information instantaneously, can't we? We can go over here. We can see videos that were shot in Nicaragua to China to Ubakistan. You can go anywhere on the Internet. There's this information that's expanding. And God said, okay, this is the exact right time for Jesus to enter into the world. But maybe the number one thing that God was doing during the 400 years of silence he was preparing the rest of the world to receive Jesus. And this is how. I want to introduce you to a, a Greek word, but it's, it's the word word. It's the word logos or logos. The Greek word logos is translated into English as word, but its meaning is much, much deeper. And here's how it came about. Ever hear of a guy named Socrates? Socrates had to drink hemlock, right? Glunk, glunk, glunk. And he, he was forced to commit suicide by drinking poison because here's this Greek scholar, not a Hebrew scholar, a Greek scholar, and he came to the conclusion because he was such a brilliant man. He said, all these gods are false. There must be only one true God. And because he made that statement... He lost his life. But before he lost his life, he said, and, and I'm, I'll, I'll get a little more quote, the word logos, or the word word, refers to ideas that resided in the one true God. He called it the divine mind. And his students, ever hear of these guys? Plato and Aristotle? They took this concept of the word, the logos, being in the divine mind, a little further, Plato offered the possibility that the Word may one day 
come forth from the divine mind. Here he is almost prophesying that one day a word is going to come from the divine mind. Heraclitus, a philosopher who lived in uh, Ephesus, and he's the famous guy that said you can't step into a river, the same river twice. I don't know if you've ever heard that famous saying. But he said that what the Logos was, omnipotent wisdom that steers everything. He said it's providence. Then another Greek philosopher named Zeno says that not only is the idea of the Logos a divine idea, but it's a divine command. That is, the divine mind thinks something and it creates it. And then another philosopher comes by and he says, God, this divine mind will speak a word and will create something from nothing. Boy, it sounds a lot like what God did in Genesis 1-1, doesn't it? Because in Genesis 1-1, doesn't he say, let there be light, and what happens? Boom, there's light. He said, uh, let there be an expanse between the waters and the waters, and boom, there's heaven and earth. And, and God just has to say the word, the logos, and suddenly it is created. A very powerful God. Psalm 33 says it this way, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their host. I love it that it doesn't say by his nostrils. But by the breath of his mouth, by him speaking something, it came into existence. Psalm 107 says it this way, he sent out his word and it healed them. And he delivered them from their destruction. Revelation given by God was referred to as a word from the Lord. Now, in the fullness of time, for both Jew and Gentile, the idea behind logic and reason represented by this word logos meant that the spoken word became concrete physical reality. This may be deeper than you wanted to go to, but we're going to bring it back up just for a second. I just want you to get the idea that God wasn't silent for 400 years. He had dealt with Israel for all these centuries, and then he was silent, and then he started working everywhere else in the world to prepare the way for the Word. Now, what does the Word mean? There's some fill-in-the-blanks. The first two that go across are this way. It means to think and to speak. Actually, that's the last one. Is there first one reason, thought, an expression? I, I haven't messed up on my notes, sorry. To, to reason and to think, it's logical, an expression of that thought. And it can be an inward thought and then an outward form. That's it. God just thinks something, says it, and boom, it happens. Inward thought and an outward form. And then the last is to think and to speak. So God was preparing men to understand and accept and believe the logos of God, that the Word of God could become flesh. Now John's going to tell us something a little bit in John 1.1, so I need you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 1. Now while you're turning there, you know Matthew, he wrote to the Primarily the, the Jewish people. And that's why he talks a lot about the prophecies. Mark talks to the Romans and talks really quickly and fast action as Jesus is the servant. Luke is written to the Greeks and emphasized as the son of man. But John, he writes to everybody. 
And he's going to emphasize this Jesus is the Son, the Logos of God. So let's begin at 1-1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but just came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of what? Of God. Verse 14, And the Word, the Logos of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word. What your words are to you is an expression of you. And what Jesus is to God the Father is is the expression of God the Father. And the Word was with God, having a conscious personal existence, distinct from God but still inseparable from Him. And with doesn't quite convey the the full meaning of him being with God. It wasn't like he was just nearby, but they were in communion. They were in union. And the Word was God. And so this is what Colossians says about almost a commentary on this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the first above all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created for him and through him. And he is before all things, and in all things are held together by him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When the upper story and the lower story collide, it didn't come with a big PR push. No fanfare, no new uh, photographs, no big noise or splash. It didn't make the six o'clock news. God invaded and collided with our stories humbly. Because not only did he come to be with us, but he came to be one of us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for 
many. And do you know, if you were actually go to Bethlehem today, at the right time of day, Herod, the king of the land at that moment in time, he was a puppet king of Rome, of Caesar. Here was his palace, and at the right time of day, the shadow would have reached Bethlehem. In the shadow of what everybody thought was important, the king of kings was born into this world. The word became flesh. God added humanity to his divinity so that he could relate to us, to show us. He laid down his glory that he might be like us. Jesus knew hunger. Jesus knew frustration. Jesus knew temptation. Jesus knew what it was like to stub his toe and not lose his thoughts. Or, or, or his mouth, or self-control. Jesus knows exactly what you have gone through because he has been betrayed. You've been betrayed before. You have been hated before. All those things Jesus experienced. Jesus experienced loneliness. Some of us experience loneliness to a degree that we just can't even get our heads wrapped around all of this Jesus took on flesh. The Word spoke and suddenly Jesus is here. Jesus has created everything. And he said, but I have come to invite them back into my presence. And I need to show them who God is like. Even the Greeks, with all their pantheons of Zeus and, and you know, they've got so many gods. The intellectuals of Greece said, no, there's only one true God. Nobody but one incredible being put this all together. All of creation shouts at you that there is a creator. The Greeks were smart. They just didn't know who it was. And Jesus came forth and said, I'm here. I'm here. In chapter 22, the Logos was accepted by some. That's the next fill in the blank. And who accepted it? Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph accepted. Let's just turn to Matthew. Now let's turn to Luke. Let's hear her story. Go to Luke chapter 1 and pick it up at verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, of the, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or betrothed. To a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, it will never end. And good old Mary. Now Mary's a teenage girl. She might be 14. She might be 16. She might be 17. But she's definitely a teenager. Because teenagers got married at that time. And she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's not doubting, but she knows she's never been with a man. So she's trying to say, how am I going to be pregnant? And the angel says this, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, Aunt Lizzie, if you want to say, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. And then he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. His upper story is going to go forth. And Mary said, look, this is, this is important. Mary said this, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Now, let's, let's put ourselves in, in Joseph's situation. Mary has to come and says, Hey, babe, I'm pregnant. And he's going to go, what? And she's going to say, yeah, this angel came and said that uh, the Holy Spirit was going to give me a baby. And what is Joseph thinking? Right. Sure. So he comes up with an idea. Even though they're only engaged, you have to go through the divorce process at the, in this culture. And he says, I'm just going to divorce her. I don't want to marry a tainted woman, a woman that's sleeping around. And she, I thought I trusted her, and now I can't. And, but what has happened? He has a dream. And in the dream, an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, the child that Mary will bear is of the Lord. This is of the Holy Spirit. Marry her. Then what does Joseph do? He gets up immediately and marries her. Write down these three words under this outline part. It's not on the screen. Write trusting, write obedient, and write sacrificial. They were trusting, they were obedient, and they were sacrificial. Because they found themselves in the biggest scandal in their little village. You know, Tammy and I, we came from Missouri town of 4,500. You stubbed your toe. The whole town knew what you had done. How much more so in a village of 2,000 people or 1,000 people? Everybody knew that Mary was pregnant. And what was your logical conclusion? Who got her pregnant? Joseph. Oh, so this is the kind of people that have premarital sex? Oh, they're going to be an outcast. They're going to be tossed out of the synagogue. They're going to have a life of shame everywhere they go. That child that's born of them is going to be called a dirty word. And what did they do? How do you convince your, your fiancé that you didn't cheat on him? How do you explain yourself to the village? How do you explain yourself to the, your parents? That's why I said they were trusting they were obedient, and they had to sacrifice a lot. They had to sacrifice their reputation. You know, when you come to Jesus, these are the three attributes that are the most powerful. You trust Him, you're obedient to Him, and you're sacrificial. Because you never know what road or journey Jesus is going to take you on to make you into the man or woman you're supposed to be. And you might have to put up with a lot of grief, but God's in your corner and God's got your back. No matter what the world is doing to you or trashing you or tarnishing you, He is the one that is trustworthy. And they believed in the Logos. The Word that became flesh. Mom and 
stepdad said, I believe it. I will accept that there is this powerful being that can speak and it comes into existence. May it be as you have said. Now here's the last fill in the blank. Number three. The Logos was rejected by some. When Jesus came into the world, not everybody was happy. Even the, the guy at the inn, he was too concerned about everybody else that he didn't see the collision happening. This story and this story colliding, he didn't even see it coming. And he sent this young teenage girl that was out to hear, maybe her water has broken, we don't know. We just know that she needed to be someplace because she was about to have a baby. Bouncing on a donkey all the way from where they started. And he has no compassion at all. Go out into the barn with the animals. And you know that Jesus was laid in a feeding trough. Oh, Herod, in the shadow of a palace... There are gold things in there, royal things in there, but God's upper story collides like we are. Humble and just ordinary people. And then what about Herod? He rejected. He was threatened so much so that he tried to kill all the babies that were associated in the time frame that the wise men said that they saw the star. Now that's not thousands of babies. The, the, the town of Bethlehem's not that big. How many two-year-old boys are there going to be in a village of, of uh, 500? Not that many, but still he was determined to kill. So the upper story and the lower stories collide. Not violently, but almost silently. And God takes on flesh in the ordinary way, being born as a vulnerable little boy to a teenage mother in order to rescue us, in order to relate to us, he becomes like us. And some are going to receive him with trust and obedience and with sacrifice. And others will say, you know what, I don't want you, Jesus. I like being on the throne of my heart and I am feeling threatened by you. Because if I become a follower of Christ, if I actually start reading the Bible, I may not want to do what you've asked me to do. And I'm threatened by it. I just want to stay on the throne of our heart. But there's good news. Do you know it's never too late to invite Jesus in? It's never too late, the Word of God, into our lives. It wasn't too late for Moses to accept the Word of the Lord at 80. It wasn't too late for Samson, who was blind and bound to take down the house. It wasn't too late for Jonah, being in the belly of a great fish. It wasn't too late for Saul, who was persecuting the Christians. It wasn't too late for Peter, who denied Jesus on the night he was betrayed. It wasn't too late for Thomas who said, unless I see Jesus in the flesh. I mean, I think he had this valley girl attitude with this thing going on. Unless I see Jesus in the flesh and I want to put my finger in the hole of his hand and I want to put my finger in the side where the spear got him, I'm not going to believe. But what happened to Thomas? Jesus showed up. And said, come, come, put your finger in the hole. And what did Thomas do? Did he do it? 
No, he dropped to his knees in worship. Was it too late for Thomas? No. It's not too crowded or too late to meet Jesus, to have to come into the light with trusting and obedience and sacrificial. I'm gonna, I want to leave you with a word picture, with an object lesson, because this is what we're guilty of. How many of you drink sugar in your coffee? Shame on you. Stop that. We Americans come from Western civilization that comes from the Greeks. We're very Greek in our thinking. We're not like the Hebrews, and we need to get more of that Hebrew thought. But this is how the Greeks think. You get a cup of coffee, you put your sugar in it, you stir it, and then you drink it. And you go, huh, something hit me. Something hit me. And then we analyze. Greeks analyze. We analyze, well, what's this made of? And how big is the circumference? And how deep is it? And the Hebrew would go this way. Oh, I need to take this out. And then drink. The difference between analyzing and it's a fancy word, synthesizing. In other words, most of you don't need more information about Jesus to make a decision. You don't need more encouragement to read his word. You don't need more. We're just keep analyzing it. But the Hebrews, boy, once they figured something out, they incorporated what they knew to be truth and then added it to their life. That's where we're at today. The world knows, a lot of Americans know about Jesus, but they're not willing to do anything about it. So stop analyzing, wanting more information about God. Just trust Him. Be obedient. Be sacrificial. And your life will begin to change. It all comes down to that, doesn't it? Jesus became flesh and has invited you into a way of living. Not just to psychoanalyze everything, but a way of living differently so that you can have the victory over dysfunction, over your bad coping devices, but to have control over the nature that you used to be. Because when you come to Christ, you become a new creation. Let's pray. Father God,